0: This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR, 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem.
1: We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. There was a lot happening just now, wasn't there? I didn't know. There I- was a song and there was a promo playing. You know why, Selena?
0: Why?
1: Because I don't know how to read.
0: I thought it was because you are going to say you made a mistake while engineering.
1: I, I don't make mistakes, Selena. I am like Donald Trump in the fact that I don't make mistakes and that make no sense.
0: Right. No, that that I would agree with that there. <laughs> All right, guys, so we're back on Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz on the PC Ones and Twos. Doing a
1: poor job so far.
0: <laughs> he said it, not me. And Alyssa Fuchs, our... Resident legal scholar and our intern Monty. FYI, this is his last day with us. These three months went by so fast. It
1: really—you For- can tell it's his last day though because he has a fresh cut. He has a nice, clean black polo shirt on because he's getting ready to party once he doesn't have to be around us anymore.
0: <laughs> is that what's going on, Monty? Yes. Probably not.
1: See, All right, ooh, guys. You see, that, you see that lineup right there? Who's your barber? Caribbean, ain't he? <laughs> No. Monty's blushing, guys.
0: He, he probably isn't. But okay, guys. So um, I, as I mentioned before we went on break, we're going to talk about women in jail. Uh, we're going to start the show talking about uh, a new report that shows that women, specifically women of color, are being incarcerated at dramatically high rates. And we actually have a very special guest on the line who is the principal author of this staggering report. But before we get there and get to the guest, I want to tell you guys about two women who are now fighting to bring drastic reform to Rikers Island right here in New York City. So back in May 2015, these two unnamed women filed a federal lawsuit claiming that they were raped multiple times by Correction Officer Benny Santiago. One woman says, started around 2011, she was raped as many as four times per week. And during these assaults, he would force her to perform oral sex on him, have intercourse, pull her hair, and choke her. Santiago is also accused of driving to her mother's house, looking at her family, and then using those details to threaten her to have more sex with him, well, rape her. Um... Now, the second woman says that this same officer was uh, raping and sexually assaulting her between 2012 and 2013. And after she reported him, other officers started threatening her, harassing her. They refused to feed her in 24 hours. They wouldn't let her bathe. They placed her in solitary confinement without justification. And he left her with a nice little present called an STD. So not only are they suing the city for not doing enough to stop or prevent these rapes, but they also claim that sexual assault is a rampant part of Rikers Island's jail where they were held, the women's jail where they were held. And the lawsuit seeks individual damages for the two women and class action status for all female prisoners at Rikers and all women who have been raped or sexually abused at the center. So they need this class action lawsuit. And it would actually more than likely bring about broad reforms. However, a lower court refuses to grant the lawsuit, class action lawsuit. And that's why they were back in an appeals court last week. So I wanted to share this story to highlight the need for reform, not just in Rikers Island, but across the nation. It's not just Rikers Island where female inmates are being abused and exploited. It happens across the country. And you know who it's happening to? Mentally ill Poor, Hispanic, and black women. Those are the the people, the women who are primarily being locked up, according to a new staggering report released by the Vera Institute of Justice and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur's Foundation Safety and Justice Challenge. So... I saw this report, I think within the same hour that I read the story about the two women who were trying to push for the class action lawsuit, and um, the report was staggering itself. It shows that um, women in jails has increased 14 times. The number, the rate of women in jails has increased 14 times since 1970, making women in jails the fastest growing group of incarcerated people in our entire nation and despite the the shift despite what's going on it gets little attention and it gets very little media coverage I mean even after this report was released I mean I saw a lot of um, different news sources writing about it but I don't think that the authors were featured on you know state of the nation this morning or face the nation like no one is really really taking it that seriously and that's a problem so I want to now introduce the guest we have on the line. Her name is Elizabeth Salvola, and she is a senior program associate with the Center on Sentencing and Corrections at the Vera Institute of Justice. She is also a principal author of this very daunting report. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, it's a pleasure, and for us to have you, on the show. So, you know, I wanted to start off uh, just talking about how and why women, specifically women of color, are being mm-hmm. locked up in such high rates.
2: Right. So, you're absolutely right that most of the conversation around mass incarceration has not focused on women. Um, first, that's because a lot of the focus has been on prison, um, which holds people who have been sentenced to more than one year. Um, local jails have only recently just started to get attention. They um, predominantly hold people who are awaiting trial, so they're legally presumed innocent. They've been arrested but not yet convicted. Um, and what we've learned is that the number of people in jail has just grown dramatically since 1970, and even more so for women. So as you said, um, since 1970 there's been a 14-fold increase in the number of women in jail. Um, In 1970, there were about 8,000 women, and now there are almost 110,000 women. Um, And back in the 1970s, it was actually rare for women to even be in jail. Almost um, 75% of counties did not have even one woman in jail. And so when when we set out to figure out uh, what's driving this growth, we really struggle to find any research. Um, what does exist is quite old, especially at the national level, um, sometimes almost two decades old. Um, and what, what does exist is is also quite um, limited. You know, it scratches the surface of who these women are, it just looks at one aspect. Um, so we really had to pull from any source that we could find to try to create a complete picture. But I think we still. Um, lack that total explanation as for why this growth, the research does suggest a few different things, um, such as the system focusing on lower-level offenses. Um, And those are the types of offenses that women tend to Involved in
0: Elizabeth, Um, I actually wanted to, you know, focus in on that. Why are they being locked up? Like you said, it's low-level, non-violent offenses, such as such as shoplifting or maybe having like a small amount of marijuana. I,
3: I mean, hi Elizabeth. I'm Alyssa Fuchs. I actually, you're at Vera. I work upstairs on the 18th floor. I'm at Conan Fitch. Um, I think we're in the same building. Uh, but um, I do a lot of work on this stuff as well. I um. Uh, you know, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I also do civil rights law, and I find, at least from what I encounter or have encountered, and it's obviously anecdotal because I have, I don't have any statistical research. That's what you guys are working on, thankfully. Um, that most of the crimes that we see women committing are low-level misdemeanors, and they're related to one of two things: either to, um, to a, a longstanding drug problem that they could benefit from treatment um, that they don't get, that they instead find themselves in the criminal justice system, or to uh, some kind of theft crime, as um, Selena points out, uh, due to necessity, um, they need to eat or feed their child or put diapers on their child, um, you know, and so they need to steal the things that they can't afford because we don't have enough programs to deal with issues of poverty. Um, and then I guess in some part we do see some, I mean, I haven't seen personally, but I do know that there's a large, uh, not a large, a, another group of women that are in jail because of domestic uh, domestic partner violence that has been perpetrated against them where they've retaliated um, and then they've been subjected to imprisonment. So I was just hoping that you could elaborate on that from the statistical point of view, if that's something that you see bear out in the numbers um, in the studies that you have done.
2: Yes. So the vast majority of women, about 82%, are in jail for nonviolent offenses. And the biggest categories are property offenses, uh, drug offenses, most often drug possession, and public order offenses, so things like um, loitering or disorderly conduct. And most of these offenses are coming from efforts um, at survival, really. You know, women who are in jail are more likely to have medical problems, to have serious mental illness, who have experienced drug or alcohol abuse or dependence, Um, and and, and almost 80% of them are mothers and oftentimes single mothers. So these really are, um, they're often coming into contact with the system because of efforts just really to survive.
0: Guys, if you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Elizabeth Suavola. She is from the Vera Institute of Justice. And we're talking about a staggering report that the Vera Institute released showing that the number of women being locked up has grown dramatically uh, 14 times since 1970. And the prim- uh, primarily they're locking up black and brown women and who happen to be single mothers too just to add on top of that and you just pointed that out and you know speaking of that um you know if 80 percent of the women are mothers and most of them are single mothers this has to have a very dramatic effect on their children and their communities and that's something that just the report and your research found can you
2: expand on that absolutely so you're right so almost eighty uh, percent are mothers most are single mothers um so this Incarceration of women at the local level has a much farther-reaching impact, even but beyond the women themselves. Um, it is it affects their families, but their children especially, and also um, their family members who then become the caregivers for their children. Oftentimes, that's a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle, a cousin. Um, so when the women are in jail, it's, it creates an incredible amount of parental stress on them. They're thinking about, how am I going to reunite with my kids? How am I going to see my kids? How am I going to support them financially? Because these are often the primary caregivers um, for these children. So when, um, when they're in jail and they're trying to maintain the relationship with their children, it's incredibly difficult. Um, it can be hard to visit. Um, it, you know, these are our families who are coming from poor communities, so even getting to the jail can be expensive. Um, and then once you're there, the the environment is not at all conducive to having a meaningful relationship. Um, often, you're seeing your loved ones through a glass partition. You can't kiss or hug or hold hands. Jails um, are loud, they're chaotic. Um, there's There are a lot of rules, and that can be really tough for kids. Um, and even just having phone calls can be incredibly difficult. There are often um, surcharges um, that are prohibitively expensive for these families. In some cases, the only visitation that you can have is through video. So you actually have to go to the jail itself, but then you see your loved ones through video. Um, so, yeah. so it really it's it's really difficult on, on all parties involved.
0: You're absolutely right. It has to be extremely traumatic on a child who loses their mother, especially for something so minor as she happened to pick up some diapers and she didn't pay for it. I mean, it's just ridiculous how we're locking up these black and brown women, caretakers, single mothers, and leaders in their communities. But on that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about women in jail right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard.
2: Way, way, way up. Turn it all up. Yeah. yeah. Look, I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of people trying to drain me of my energy, they trying to take
1: the- we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz here with Alyssa Fuchs. And the mighty Hollywood so Leonce Hill has returned to the show. And we are talking about the growing population of women in jails. And to have that conversation, we have an amazing guest on the line. And her name just so happens to be Miss Elizabeth Spivola. But let me tell you something amazing about Elizabeth. We were having some troubles on the phone, so I asked her to call back and guess what she's calling me from her blackberry welcome to 2008 guys no so elizabeth what kind of blackberry do you have and also can you get apps on it it
2: it is a work uh blackberry not <laughs> my own um so i have no idea what kind it is she's like this is just for my <laughs> I job don't ever actually make phone calls on it you just check email
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it is a work phone i would never she's well you're way too cool for a blackberry right What's that? Are you too cool for a Blackberry for your personal time?
2: Um, I definitely
1: use an iPhone in my personal life. That's right, team. (laughs) iPhone. I love it, Elizabeth.
0: Stanley can't really talk because before, a few days ago, he had the iPhone 3 and was proud of it. And I was like, it's time to upgrade. It was a 4. It was a 4. It was.
1: Well, I had a 5S, and then I had a 4 for for about two and a half days, and now I have a 6S because I'm a boss. And I have 64 gigs. It feels so weird taking pictures and not being told that I'm out of space.
0: (laughs) Welcome to 2016, Stanley. Seriously. All right, guys. Says the girl
3: who's always out of space. (laughs) What? Out of space, Selena has a hundred something I'm shooting gigs. A video, and it's like there's no more room for this video. And
1: if you go to her photos, it's just a whole bunch of selfies. That is That's not all it is,
3: rule. yes, it
1: is. And she has a hundred gigs, and she filled it up. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I was, she like the,
0: okay. o- All of that is exaggerated. 100 gig selfies. Anyway, guys, back to the topic. So we have on the line with us Elizabeth Smivola. She is from the Vera Institute of Justice. And we're talking about this staggering report about how black and brown women are being locked up at drastic rates. Um, it's something that we all knew, I think, in our communities. But mm-hmm. this report sort of validated it. And one of the reasons why they're being locked up is the fact that uh, most of them can't afford... Bills, right. They can't afford the fines and the fees. And consequently, they're being trapped in jails. And I mean, statistics also show that black and brown women uh, make less money than white women. And of course, much less money than white men.
3: Well, I mean, a majority of the people who are housed on Rikers Island, and this goes for both men and women, are uh, who are awaiting trial, are being um, housed on the island with a bail set on them that's a thousand dollars or less. In some cases, people are, uh, you know, in on a bail that's about five hundred dollars that they still can't afford to pay, and so that's a real problem. And we've spoke about that before, the need for bail reform, um, but that obviously impacts this situation as well, especially if you have a single mother who is the sole bread winner in her household and maybe falls a little short during the month and, you know, needs something and ends up you know committing a a petty theft crime and they're now or even on the other hand of that doesn't commit any crime at all but yet is falsely arrested in either situation um now you appear in court the next morning and you're being told that for whatever reason either a you're going to plead guilty to a crime that maybe you did or maybe you didn't commit or b they're going to set 500 dollars bail on you and you're going to go sit at rikers island for you know anywhere between a few days to you know in theory, up to a, a year or more, just awaiting the disposition of your case. And especially if you're saying, I didn't do anything wrong and I'm not going to plead guilty to that case, then you are going to sit there if you cannot make that bail. And that's a real problem um, You know that impacts both men and women. But I actually wanted to talk about Another thing, well, I want to get Elizabeth's feedback
0: on that because this does disproportionately affect economically disadvantaged disadvantaged women. Uh, so, Elizabeth, what, what did you see in that research, and what's your feedback on that?
2: Yeah, you guys really hit it on the head. So women who are coming to jail um, are, by and large, economically disadvantaged, much more so than even the men who are also economically disadvantaged. Um, So about 60% lacked full-time employment before they were arrested. And we know kind of globally about half of all single black and Hispanic women have zero or negative net wealth in the United States. Um, So these women come to jail, and then when they are given a bail amount, even when it's a low amount, like a $500 or $1,000, they cannot afford to post that bail. And then they end up, as Alyssa said, sitting in jail while they await their trial or whatever resolution will happen for their, their particular case. So, so this is incredibly unfair because if you do have the means, you can get out of jail, and you can help your attorney prepare for the case, and you can maintain your housing, your, any employment that you have, any treatment that you've been working on. And so it's, it's really a biased system against those who do not have the means to bail themselves out.
1: So, Elizabeth, this is Stanley, and I have a very simple question. Wouldn't the easiest thing to do since we know this is happening is to stop putting people in jail for, like, some of these petty offenses or maybe just, like, stop putting bail on people who we know can't afford it? And if that is a simple solution, why haven't we seen that happen?
2: It's a great question. Um, I think those are both good strategies that we need to be looking at um, to a extent. Um, some communities across the country are starting to reform their local systems. And part of that, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, is through the Safety and Justice Challenge, which is a project of the MacArthur Foundation. Um, So they brought together a network of sites that are looking to reduce over-incarceration by thinking about the way America uses its jails and rethinking the overuse of jails. So one great strategy is to think of alternatives right at the front end of the system, Um, things like diversion programs that law enforcement can engage in. They can take people who are in crisis or um, clearly living in poverty um, into community services instead of arresting them or providing a citation in lieu of arrest, so giving a ticket with a very small fine or fee. Um, And then once people are still penetrating into the system, you have to be looking at every single decision point and thinking of ways to divert people away from the system, and that has to be very deliberate in thinking about
1: how to reach women.
0: Guys, if you are tuning in and you want to chime in, the number is two one two six five zero six nine zero three. You can also tweet us at beheard
1: underscore radio. You hate that, don't you? A
0: little
3: bit, <laughs> Alyssa. Yeah. So uh, you know, I just want to switch gears a little bit. I know that the report was mainly about because I did have a chance to read at least part of it um, about the po- the population of women in prison um, but I all, just wanted to talk for a second about some of the distinct and different issues that that face women who are in prison that men, uh, you know, are, do not face at all. Um, two of those that I can think of, well, the one is the one big one is having to do with families and children. While men do have families and children, there's a big difference between um, a mother who is the the person who has the custody of their children who's in jail. But related to the issue of children generally are two other issues. One of them is the shackling of pregnant women, um, especially when they're in the hospital and they're going to give birth if they are pregnant in jail. Um, and the other big issue that we've seen facing women in prison is the lack of sanitary supplies. Um, so I was just wondering if you could speak for a second about these two issues. I know they're a little different, but they are related. Um, have In your research, did you come across anything about uh, these two issues and th- any numbers about that? I know up until last year, something like 34 states were still shagged women who are giving birth, which is just awful, Um, and even in New York State, which is something that we were working really hard to change, and I know in a lot of places, although I don't know the numbers, maybe you could give us a better picture, where there's a lack of sanitary supplies, and so women are basically forced to come up with alternative solutions um, every month when they get their period. Horrible. Yeah. So when women are in jail, they are definitely within a system that
2: was created for the majority of people there, which is men. So oftentimes, even very simple things like hygiene are overlooked for women. Um, Even toilet paper is often ordered in quantities that men use. We know biologically women need more. And pads and tampons are often quite not available for these women. Um, They're made to stretch the use of it for a longer amount of time than they should. There may not be any supplies at all. Um, So it's really not only an issue of a risk to their health, but it's also incredibly dehumanizing. Um, when they are absolutely still shackled in many places when they're pregnant, which can cause um, injury to both them and the baby as well. So it's really thinking about how to um, improve conditions for women and making sure that we are first avoiding use of Daryl for Women as much as possible.
0: Um, I, I want to talk about the role that the war on drugs and mandatory minimum sentence has played in the growth of women in jail. When we talk about these subjects, we often just relate it to how it's affected black and brown men, or we say people. We don't specifically talk about women. And I know that's one of um, the things that Alyssa also talks about and has expertise. So, you know, Alyssa, if you could just talk about that and then we'll talk about it with Elizabeth.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the war on drugs plays a great role in the incarceration of, of women, especially for low-level drug um, you know, the war on drugs has <laughs> taken many prisoners, essentially. Um, and so when you have, especially because you have a disproportionate amount of um, people, women of color that are using drugs, but also the just the skewed nature of the criminal justice system in itself. I mean, you can look, I'll give you a perfect example. You walk down... 78th Street, where I live, on the Upper East Side. And you will find um, white women sitting out on their front stoop, drinking a glass of wine, maybe even smoking a joint. And there's no police presence there. And so this is also, at least specific to New York, um, something that has to do with both the war on drugs and broken windows policing, which is we have disproportionate way in which we enforce the law, especially against in communities of color. And that obviously also has a disproportionate impact of women, uh, against women who do drugs, uh, in communities of color versus white women that do drugs. I mean, there are no lack of white women that do drugs. I mean, you have the phenomenon of the stay-at-home mom that takes the pills. You have the working woman on Wall Street who does just as much cocaine as the boys. You have the woman who drinks wine and smokes pot on her soup on the Upper East Side. And yet those are not, for the most part, the women that we are seeing in prison. Instead, we are seeing the women who are the most casualty of the war on drugs, and those are women of color. Those need to
1: protect oh, white women. You will not attack them, Melissa, okay? You leave... Becky with the good weed alone.
0: No, but it's funny. Those women aren't also aren't demonized. Like, it seems right. as almost classy to have wine in a joint. It's like, oh, you're liberal and progressive. Whereas if you're on your stoop in Brownsville drinking a 40 and smoking, it's, oh, look at this ratchet That's girl.
1: They're drinking Hennessy Selena.
0: Okay, Henny, whatever. But no, I mean, it's like, no, there's so, a different perception. Yeah, I
3: mean, and that just goes back to the general disproportionate nature in which the war on drugs is enforced against people of color. Yeah, um, Elizabeth, I wanted to get you back into the conversation here. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So about 29% of women in jail are there for drug offenses. And as we said earlier, oftentimes that is just simple possession. Um, And we know that about two-thirds of women in jail are women of color. So certainly over time, as law enforcement has come to focus on these lower-level drug offenses, women have been swept up um, into the system even more so than men. And you have to question the point of jail is to hold people who are a danger to the community or a risk of life. As women are coming in on these low level, nonviolent offenses, it doesn't seem like we're using jail as it was really intended to be used.
0: You are absolutely right. And another thing that really resonated with me is the fact that 32% have a serious mental yeah. illness in jail. And 86%, according to your report, have experienced sexual violence in their lifetimes. Um, so, I mean, if, if we think about the people who are being locked up, they're people that seriously need counseling, right? right? More than likely, their school system failed them. They're not talking about the trauma that they experience. And as a result, they're act. sometimes they act in different ways that are considered like not acceptable and be in society especially if you're black or brown well
3: this just also plays into the last thing that we talked about about the war on drugs and about the use of drugs right if you're suffering from a severe mental illness or if you have been the victim of being uh, of sexual violence a lot of those women not all of them but a lot of those women they cannot get the health care the mental health care the you know the trauma care that they need in the community and instead they want to to suppress those things that have happened they want to numb it out and so what do they do? They turn to drugs. And when they turn to drugs, they then get caught up in the low-level crime, in the war on drugs, and land themselves in prison in that way. And so what that is saying is we need to better, as a society provide the resources we need to spend the money to provide the resources to provide mental health care to provide you know trauma care to these women to provide help and poverty you know and and the kind of things that are going to lift them out of poverty and keep them fr- off of drugs rather than just putting them into a jailhouse because at the end of the day we're just warehousing women we are not dealing with the underlying problems in society that we should be dealing with and so we're going to continue to be putting women into prisons and into jails unless we finally take a step back and say hey wait, this isn't an incarceration problem. We need to deal with this as a social problem, as a health problem, as a medical problem, than dealing with it as a criminal justice problem.
1: The system is not just failing our, our women. They're also sabotaging them. And we're talking about the drug issue, but we're also talking about the domestic violence. Marissa Alexander, we remember from a couple of years ago, who she fired off a, a shot from her two shots from her gun to scare away the husband who had been abusing her and she had a restraining order against, and they put her in jail for 20 years. Yep. And then when she appealed it, they tried to put her in for 60.
3: And now she's out, is Yeah, now she? she's out, yeah. But it took like it a took long time. It f- took five, six meanwhile, years. Meanwhile, George Zimmerman says, oh, stand in my ground. Yep.
0: No, it was horrible. The laws in Florida are also horrible. That happened in the Florida's same. horrible. Yeah, no, I mean for, for those reasons exactly. But I wanted to talk about you know the lack of resources that these women received in their lifetimes, then they end up in jail. When they are in jail, are they treated or ever, like are there mental uh, if is a mental illness ever uh, addressed or do they have counselors on staff? Elizabeth.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you guys are absolutely right on all of these points. Um, women come to jail with very high rates of trauma. As you said, almost 90% have experienced sexual violence. Almost 80% have experienced partner violence. When they come to jail, as we said, the system is really designed for men and doesn't account for a lot of this trauma that women have experienced. Jails are county-run facilities, so they don't even have as much resources as prisons might have because they're supported by the state or the federal government. So oftentimes the providers that are available aren't trained specifically for dealing with women and addressing their challenges. So when women leave jail, they're oftentimes even more destabilized when they came in. Um, Sometimes they are observed by male guards while they're using the bathroom or showering. They are shackled. They are held in solitary confinement. And all of this can really hurt their chances of recovering from the trauma that they have experienced.
0: So, Elizabeth, um, unfortunately we're going to have to bring this conversation to a close, but before we do, can you talk about some of the initiatives that should and need to be implemented in order to reduce over-incarceration specifically for women, specifically for black and brown women?
2: Yes. So every single point within the criminal justice process is an opportunity to divert women away from the system. So at arrests, giving citations instead of making arrests or diverting women to treatment and programming. Um, at the charge decision, the prosecutor can have a program to divert women away and say, as long as you stay out of trouble for the next six months, we'll drop or reduce your charges. Um, pre supervision could be designed for women. Community supervision could be designed for women. At every point of the conversation, we need to reframe to include women, and it has to be data-driven have to understand why women are coming into jail, if they're sitting on low amounts of bail, and how we can support them in being successful when they're released into the community.
0: Thank you again, Elizabeth. Um, Please let our listeners know how they can support the Vera Institute or maybe get in contact with you and read this report.
2: Absolutely. So you can go to vera.org to check out the report. You can go to org to see what's happening in your community. Um, And you can share this report with friends and family and and your elected officials as well.
0: Thank you again, Elizabeth. We appreciate your time. Um, And, you know, before we close, I just wanted to end by saying another reason why this phenomenon is happening in our country is because lack of research and lack of media coverage. We simply just do not care. And we, we need to care because, again, this affects children. This affects communities. This is, in turn, affecting, you know, People. And I think that, you know, when it comes to humanity, if we don't care about each other, especially the most vulnerable people in society, then that says a lot about us. And I also want to mention uh, when it comes to this report, it also shows that women are being held in jails nearly e- in every county across the nation, which I believe Elizabeth mentioned. Now, back in 1970, there weren't there weren't even they weren't count. There weren't county jails. And now, seventy three percent of all counties um, have have a women's jail. So, and then we're locking them up for reasons that should not be. But again, I think that if we pay more attention to this uh, issue, we start investing and taken more seriously then it could actually make a change and i'm you know what i'm proud of us here let your voice be heard for giving this issue some spotlight and we need more we definitely need more and we need to push for more on that note we are going to take a quick break but don't go anywhere when we come back we're going straight into the news roundup right here on let your voice be heard
2: i go on and on can't understand how i last so long I must have the superpowers last 223,000
0: hours, and it's because CC. C-R.